to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Jeremy, welcome back to, to fall. I guess for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, the, uh, the Labor Day holiday ends the summer for us. So how was your uh, holiday weekend? But wait, we didn't even have a summer. I had like three weeks of sun. <laughs> well, that's because of where you live. <laughs> well, and now uh, we. This is not weather related. This is this is America related. Now we enter the season of leaf blowers and people leaf blowing their pavements and sidewalks. And I still don't understand that concept. Now, fortunately, I don't have any of those trees. I only have the giant hundred and fifty foot evergreens. But um, oh boy, people love leaf blowing here. It's a daily hobby for a lot of people. Are you a leaf blower, Paul? I would do it uh, once or twice in the fall, but I now have a lawn service. So lawn service. Um, yeah. Well, after a, a couple of years back when I was traveling all the time, no one would do any work in the yard, and then uh, <laughs> so I hired someone, and then it became so easy that I just continue now that I'm not traveling as much. But. So, yeah, but anyways, I had to clean up. So uh, we, we have a gap in our schedule, but we have a nice episode this week. But so first of all, we'll we'll start with the uh, news from around the world, uh, starting off with um, an update from docs.microsoft.com. They have this uh, new capability rolling out to put bookmarks right in the service, which is uh, rather nice, I think. Have you seen this? Yeah, I didn't realize that that worked. And then I've just gone into our graph docs and um, it's there. So I, again, the benefit of not hosting our own docs platform for graph and taking on what Microsoft do um, is that we get that benefit for free, which is great. So I will actually use this a lot because there's a bunch of things that this will mean if I want to get to throttling quickly, I can just, I mean, I know how to do it with my eyes closed in a TOC, <laughs> but I can bookmark that page and then immediately have that in my bookmarks section, which is cool. And it will roam across my machine. So they're making you like sign in with your MSA, sorry, your Microsoft account um, to do that. But um, it's a really cool feature that like us as a product team get for free so that's great they've been cracking it out recently yeah and i mean we've uh, our listeners are probably members of the office developer program which means you've already logged in so uh i would assume it'll sync with the same account so that would be pretty nice and you know mentioning the toc this week i needed to find some information in the graph docs and i did the the, the search box above the toc it says filter by title that yeah. li- that's not what it does anymore. It it does a full search. It's really slick. So for those who haven't done this yet, if you're in the docs, like I'm on the graph documentation page at the top, there's a box to filter by title. And as you type stuff in here, it, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice experience. I like that. So, and it was helpful. I found, uh, I was searching for error handling and I found, uh, I found the page that I needed. Now the information on the page was a little lacking, but that, that, that's a different conversation. So yeah. So the, the uh, please the add platform. your feedback to the page using the docs feedback docs feedback functionality. Um, the well, yeah. So I put it on my blog. We can talk about that in a little bit here. So uh, the, the that's a different story. But yes, I plan on doing that as well. So it's and good to see we're, that we're getting closer. I'm going to publicly shame Daryl Miller, who doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that, that we're waiting on the SDK docs to be completely ported over here, but um, that'll make a huge difference. I mean, we have the code snippets in the reference now, which is work that we've worked on um, with our Nairobi team, which has been great to kind of get that in there. And I use that all the time when I'm building little samples to send to customers and stuff, because you can just kind of check on the C sharp and just immediately grab the graph, graph service client code lines. Yeah, yeah, and also I'm not sure we talked about it last time, but I can now click the try it button, right? In the oh, yeah. right in the samples. So I know you mentioned that in the graph community call that happened uh, earlier this week, but uh, why don't you give a quick overview of that for those who haven't seen the video yet? Yeah, so the idea was is that we know that you all use Graph Explorer because we can see it from our telemetry. And we also know that uh, three times as many people use the docs. And so we're like, hmm, is it people don't know how to use Graph Explorer or they get sick of the context switching and just trust the docs? And so we're not really quite sure what the scenario is. So we decided to add the try button directly into the documentation. So if you go down to kind of like... Um, get user and um, scroll down to the example section on the HTTP tab, which is the default tab for each request example, you can click try it. And then what that does is it launches, we've actually rebuilt Graph Explorer um, in React just to align with the skill set that we have and to get better efficiencies in from an engineering perspective um, with the team we're using. And so now you can run it for all get queries. Um, we're going to see how that goes. And if we get good usage of that, we'll actually going to go and invest more into um, having it sign in with MSAL. Um, there are some challenges with that with MSAL on iframes, which the MSAL team are working on. Um, and then we'll be able to kind of do all the posts and patches and stuff as well. So, um, so far it's been extremely popular and I've had lots of people chiming in and letting me know that they love it. So, um, that work has been ongoing for, since I joined back in May of last year, um, there's been a bunch of technical hurdles we've had to hit on our side as well as on, um, the docs platform side too. So it's, it's great to see something. When I sent the celebration email, I think there was like 30 different engineers that were involved in that project. So um, it's been a lot of work just to get one button on the page, but <laughs> it definitely is a pretty slick experience. So that's a, definitely a good, good one to showcase. Yeah. And am I correct? I think that's still rolling out because I haven't seen the try button on every example. Is that fair statements? Sometimes it's yeah, there, sometimes so it's not. There, if it isn't there, I know, for instance, it's not in the Intune pages is because they've done some things to um, block some of the automation we've done to change it to the try it button being lit up. And so we're retrospectively going through now and seeing where those things aren't happening um, and 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 chasing up with the teams because it's actually owned by the individual content writers to make sure the buttons lit up. And so different workloads are in different states at the minute. And, you know, that's a consistency thing we're going to have to work through. I have to, but yes, yeah, certainly helpful. And yes, the context switching can be a pain, but um, great, great to see that moving along. Uh, another item I saw from uh, Office 365 news is there is a Outlook connector that is being changed. So for, uh, for Flow, this is on the, actually I saw on the, on the Flow blog that there's an updated version of the send email, a bunch of, there's a bunch of new uh, triggers and connectors that are being deprecated and, and replaced with a V2 or a V3. And um, this is kind of uh, necessitated by the deprecation of the old discovery service. So for those who've been around a long time and remember when Rob Howard was uh, heading up the team that 
I guess before Microsoft Graph existed, the, that, that service is being deprecated and some of the services that use it are have to be updated. So if you do flow, and I would assume power apps as well with some of these connectors, you might have to update things. I mean, you've got time, but uh, the stuff's rolling right along. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is obviously if you're still using the Office 365 APIs, you really should be flipping over to um, using the Microsoft Graph. The Graph's been around for four years now, and um, everything that was on those Office 365 APIs, which I marketed five or six years ago now, um, you know, we've we've moved, and the focus is on the Graph. So if you're doing anything with those direct endpoints and the discovery service, there's really no need if you use the Graph, and obviously you get all the benefits of um, you know, samples and docs and SDK work that you don't get if you're using those direct endpoints. So um, it's worth checking out that post on the discovery service deprecation that we'll put in the notes. Yep. And this is yet another data point and an argument that says Microsoft is using the same stuff they're making available to us because the EWS API is deprecated and discovery service is deprecated. So now all there's this back and work happening to get off of those deprecated services, just like uh, us poor fortunate souls have to do as well. So yeah, that's, good. that's a good point. Dog, we have to eat our own dog food as Bill Gates famously quoted. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to see. I'm switching into the, the community here. Um, uh, uh, I don't have a blog post, but I'll put a link to a, a tweet that Chris Kent did. I interviewed Chris Kent uh, I don't know, late last year about uh, he posted that when creating a SharePoint column with a space in the name, the SharePoint now creates the internal name without the X. Oh, oh, two, oh. Yeah. So a little thing that can provide a lot of joy, right? <laughs> It's so, not taken uh, too long to fix that, right? No, nah, well, I suppose is it broken or is it not, right? So, but yeah, well, yeah that's true. true. <laughs> is yeah, that the X zero zero two zero? That I mean, is that a encoding in a particular? Yes, yes, yeah, uh, okay. yes. Uh, it would be percent two zero in the in a browser URL, but um, the way that SharePoint did that was uh, the underscore token. Yeah, that, well, I shouldn't say that was SharePoint. That was probably whatever the tool was before. We can get uh, Dan Kogan and Pat Miller to give us the history on that if we want. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah a long time ago, working on that. Well, um, so, it definitely makes it easier to remember the names of the columns when you're trying to target those in APIs yeah, or yeah, yeah. UI for sure. Yes, indeed. Or, or this, right? This was always a struggle when the end user went and built the list, and then came to the developer and said, "I need help." And then you're like, "Well, why doesn't it work?" So, yeah. I mean, that, that tweet has 163 retweets and 440 <laughs> likes, just to show you the kind of engagement that Chris's tweet with an animated GIF for good measure yeah. um, gets attention from. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Uh, the uh, next community item is uh, again revisiting. We had Laura. Uh, Laura Kay on the show of, of a few months back <laughs> talking about SharePoint site designs and she posted a quote major update to her ultimate guide including some uh, hacks into the rest endpoint uh, that, that uh, aren't necessarily documented so if you've been following the site design site script world and have seen her uh, blog post she's updated that here in the first of September with uh, some additional information there's no change log but there, it's, it's a massive post <laughs> It is a really, really long post. Yeah. There you go. That's a good one. I don't do anything with this, but it looks extremely comprehensive. Yeah, I do need to go back and read this because there may be some things in some work that I did recently that do uh, site designs and might need to update that as well. 
Now, the, the site design stuff is only on the SharePoint REST API, right? Yes. It's not that, on the graph yet. That is but correct. But I believe you've been working on something, Paul, <laughs> that can help it. Yes. yes. And so site designs is one of the stumbling blocks that I ran into um, as well. The SharePoint CSOM is .NET framework code. So I whipped up a little what I'm calling the graph community library that will use the paradigm from the SDK and in fact use the auth provider and the HTTP provider from the graph SDK for .NET and call out to other REST endpoints. And the first one of which is site designs and site scripts in the underscore API. So uh, uh, yeah, it's been fun working with Daryl and diving into the SDK. So now we get back to the the issue I found in the TOC right a search for errors I had I wanted to update the page the SDK docs for for uh, how to handle errors and there's a big note that says don't post it here it's moving to the graphs.microsoft.com repo and that's got 800 branches in it so I don't know where to post my my <laughs> J, my, my PR but uh, um, yeah so uh, yeah so the goal here was really just to get something going that would let us if I'm using .NET Core like functions v2 or just in general modern c-sharp development and i don't want to use two libraries i don't want to use c-sharp library or csom and i don't want to use graph why not use the same paradigm so that was the, the impetus around that yeah and we we demoed that in the community call this week so if you want to see paul actually demo the video of it um that video has gone live today i think um on the graph blog so graph.microsoft.com and then resources blog at the top and you'll be able to get to it but um yeah it's really cool and i'm i'm hoping that more and more people use that because it that sharepoint's going to close the bridges and all the gaps between what's in the rest api and what's in graph and jeremy kelly and kathy Jew, the, the the pms on those particular apis but uh and we've had them on the show before talking about this but um you know it's just a case of it's an old product it's been around for a long time we've got a lot of apis and um metadata and taxonomy and managed metadata and all the different names that's been called over the years is certainly a major gap that they're they're looking to close pretty quickly. And then obviously site designs is another one. So this is a nice way of like having an SDK that feels the same across both, both APIs, which is cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, there is work, uh, working underway in the, in the SharePoint team to port the CSOM SDK to .NET core. But I'd be very surprised if they change the way it works. I bet you still have to do a new site, you know, establish a context and get a, a site object. Yeah. Which is fundamentally different than how the graph SDK works. Mm -hmm. And so my thinking was, well, I, if I'm new or I, I have this fluent API that I, I like using for graph, why do I need to learn something different? For, we're back to the SharePoint is a strange beast, right? So so the goal here is to to allow for that. And so uh, I'm happy to to have some more community members jump in and help out on this because the goal is to fill the gaps where they are. And then when the gaps get closed, remove it from the community extension and let it run with, um, you know, with, with the built in stuff that's in the graph SDK. And then the last thing I would point out is it's not just SharePoint and it's not just graph. Right. I've I've used the same concepts to put in a custom web API. And it can, you know, with the right scope and the right authentication application ID, you can get a token for any API, any REST endpoint, right? So 
the graph SDK is good at getting Azure AD tokens. And once you have a token, it's time to go to the party and do what you like to see. So love to get some help uh, cranking stuff out. There's a there's no shortage of things that could be done. And so um, I'll put a link in the blog post to a couple of blog posts I've done now covering some of these topics on how to use the SDK from .NET to try to fill that documentation gap too. That's cool. And then this week, we had a return to the podcast from Todd Baginski. Uh, Todd is uh, T-Bag, is, is Jeremy is trying to force on everybody. Let's call him T-Bag. <laughs> uh, but uh, despite, the, we talked a little bit about ice hockey, which is coming four weeks away. And then um, we talked more about uh, power apps and um, some great stuff that you can do with, with, the, with that tool and some updates that he's done, uh, videos and so on. So with that, we will get the interview and we'll see you all next week. Cheers, Paul. Thanks very much. To the podcast, Todd Baginski. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, T-Bag. We're going to make that name completely stick if it hasn't already. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as we, all three of us would love to talk about ice hockey, we should probably have something more serious to entertain our guests this week. Well, I, I do so, think that maybe the between the three of us, none of us are going to make the playoffs this year, so we probably don't <laughs> want to talk about it too much anyway. That's true. Well, you know, speaking of playoffs, my team actually won our Bush League playoff championship. You did? <laughs> yeah. You're still running running those young young legs hard. Well, that's one reason we won. We added some young kids to the team. <laughs> All right, so then let me start over again. So welcome to the podcast, the ice hockey champion, Todd Baginski. How you doing, Mr. Champion? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. We Does like the, to joke the uh, ice hockey Stanley Cup is you buy yourself an icy after the game at the rink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. Well, so uh, it's it's been about a year or so since you've been on, so we wanted to have you back to to catch up. And so uh, the, I'm going to selfishly, like I do a lot of these interviews, make it better for me, hoping that it's better for everybody else. What is the CDS and why do I care? Yes, CDS. So it stands for Common Data Service. And so what it is, is it's essentially a SQL server on the back end. So imagine you're going to go develop an app and you need like SQL Server database right behind the scenes to make that happen. But instead of having to go to Azure or on premises or in a VM and stand up SQL Server, you're using CDS. So you're interfacing with this database through a bunch of web pages inside of the Power Platform uh, admin portal. So that's like the one major difference is you're not going to use SQL Enterprise Manager or something like that, but you're still getting SQL Server under the hood. And why would I choose that over a SQL that I manage or an Azure SQL instance? Uh, because it has different integration points with a lot of things in the Power Platform to begin with, like Power, Power Apps and Flows have connectors specifically designed to query the CDS. And it also, you said, why would I do that instead of my own SQL server? Because the management tools that you're going to get with it, they're not so dev focused like they usually are with SQL Server Management Studio, for instance. They're more web pages. So targeting more of that quote unquote citizen developer, Microsoft, it talks about a lot lately. 
Now, according to the website for Common Data Service, and it's kind of all marketing words, and yes, I was in marketing before, but um, they actually say that uh, it's useful because Dynamics 365's applications are natively, natively built on it. So does that mean yeah. like Dynamics CRM is built on CDS as well natively, or how do I read that marketing speak? It does. You read it just right. So they basically updated what's behind the scenes with Dynamics and turned it into and released that as CDS 2.0. And at the same time they did that, they made it available outside of Dynamics. What's interesting is when you go in to create a uh, CDS database in your Power Apps environment, when you create it and it's done, it'll be a string of characters and then dot CRM dot, I think, dynamics.com. So you can actually see the connection of how they really have both of the back end there. And another very common thing about the two is as you go like set security permissions on it, for example, you're using the same interface you see for D365 to administer the security permissions in CDS. All right. So although this is a citizen type development thing, I guess as a an end result, is there a way that a developer could access this through an API or um, through like an SDK or something rather than kind of leveraging CDS just for Power Apps and Flow? Yeah, yeah, there certainly is. And we're really happy there is. It turns out just two weeks ago was the first time we had to interact with CDS outside of a Power App and Flow. And what the scenario was that put us in that position was we were taking a Lotus Notes application and we had to migrate the data from the Notes database into CDS. And so the way that the data came out of the Notes application I don't know if you guys ever worked with Notes. Did you ever work with that one before? A long time ago in one client, and I'm glad I never had to work with it again, quite honestly. Yeah. And you may remember that the data in that database, it's flat files. Mm-hmm. It's not real relational data. And so the export that we got out of Lotus Notes was a bunch of flat files that we made. Essentially, I think we made them pipe delimited lists because there were commas in the data. And we made an export tool to pull the with Lotus script to, to actually a different vendor made that tool to get the data out. And they gave us a bunch of flat files and a bunch of directories with file attachments associated. And so now we had to get the data into CDS. And I said, well, I guess we could make a flow and just, you know, put all this data we have in Azure blob storage and have the flow grab it from blob storage and then do what it needed to do to push it into CDS. And we thought more about it went, oh my gosh, that's kind of hard to debug, especially when you're looking at data, you had nothing to do with authoring and make sure it lands in the new relational schema properly. So we started researching it and back to your question, we found the API for CDS and it's .NET. I believe it's .NET Core. Okay. And so, so we wrote a little console app to loop through that data through and pump it into CDS. Yeah. And so now anytime we want to refresh that development environment with, you know, without the test data we put into it, we can just boom, run that console app again and it pumps it all in there. So it's not middleware then the CDS. It's not, you don't have to have the flat file sitting there forever. Like it does move the data from wherever you connected it to and drops it into CDS. 
Yeah. Yep. So the little it, custom utility we made, that's exactly what it did. I was under the impression, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but that you could connect this to other systems and then CDS becomes like the front door for accessing data in the other system. So in that scenario, is there does it provide a sync mechanism to kind of map, I don't know, SAP data into CDS and then it just keeps a copying or sync process where the data lives in CDS and it lives in SAP as well. Yeah, you can do that. There are different pieces of, that are built into the platform as well as these extension points. Like I just talked about that allow you to do that. And that's, I've seen a lot of different marketing and talk about that's kind of one of the visions on why this is a really cool technology to use because if you're given easy hooks to grab data from other places and mm -hmm. put it in there and you don't have to write a ton of code to make that happen, that becomes really valuable as like a data warehouse for you. So it would seem to me that this makes a ton of sense if my job is to create power apps for my organization or if my organization is in Dynamics and I need to augment that with some other data. Am I thinking that correctly? Mm -hmm. You definitely yeah. are. Uh, yeah. Another so I just way need that to, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so if I just need to store some data somewhere in the cloud, it may not be the best choice. Uh, it seems like a lot of overhead just for, I need to store some data. But if I'm trying to tie into these other systems, maybe it's a natural fit, right? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I, there are definitely cheaper ways to store data, right? And blob storage or things like that. Um, but if you need to interact with that data and you need it highly performant, in a relational database, that's going to be a real good choice. I, I've seen a lot of people making apps and choosing CDS over SQL Server um, because the they don't want to set up another footprint in Azure. Maybe they don't have an Azure footprint in their company right now, right? They're not really using it beyond anything for Azure Active Directory. And so they want to keep it that way, but they're very comfortable with the Power Platform and Office 365 and they're using that. And then they're, you know, to them, that's like, hey, that's one less bucket, if you will, of places where my technology exists in the cloud that I have to use, I can simplify. <laughs> Or to your point about citizen developer, they may not have an Azure subscription, but if they have a license to Dynamics CD, CDS, it's low friction, right? I can just get started. Yeah, right? yeah, that's and so, right. And, and that so in that, I'm sorry, Jeremy, but so in that model, I can just see someone who perhaps doesn't follow relational database principles, just throwing a bunch of data up there and the IT guys get involved later because that's what always happens, right? Is it easy enough for me to look at this data and say, well, I need to reorganize it. And you wrote a console app, which may not necessarily be an option for everybody, but do, do I get tools to help normalize the data and get it better? Yeah, one of the biggest tools I'd say you get right out of the box is when you stand up a CDS database, it comes with a whole bunch of entities in it. So if to, to just do the, the mapping on the terminology here, the entity in CDS is your table in a database. And so it comes with, I don't know, it looks like 50 or maybe 80 of them on the list. And these are all very common entities that come with D365 as well, like accounts, contacts, customers, products, you know, all these common things that you would actually use as an entity in a common business app, they're already there. 
And so you can extend and make your own, or you can add additional columns, which they call fields in CDS, to those entities as well. So they help you get started by saying, hey, here is a building block for you to use right inside of your app right away. What does that journey look like if like Dynamics 365 decides to add to the out-of-the-box contacts? Do they do kind of inline upgrades to those CDS like I can imagine, you know, conflicts happening where I've created the field that then they create as a core field in the product. Like how does, how do they, is that happened yet? How do they handle those kind of things? I haven't seen that happen yet. It's possible it has happened, Yeah. but with the entities and the work we've done with CDS, that scenario hasn't affected me if it yeah. does exist. And then the, without going too deep on licensing, if someone's an Office 365 user, what does that mean um, in terms of wanting to use CDS? My understanding is if you have the like Office 365 E3, for example, and you're using it for SharePoint and all the other Office stuff, that you don't get CDS. I yeah. believe that you have to have currently what they call the P1 license for Power Apps. Right. Okay. And that, that bundles CDS in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I'm running Dynamics and now I do Power Apps to say I want to put data in CDS, am I going to see all my Dynamics tables in there? I mean, can I do something stupid and break things? I mean, I, I probably can't because I'm really good at being stupid, but in general. <laughs> if, if you had Dynamics and you're making a, like a Power App or something to start pulling that data out of Dynamics because they do share those entities, um, if, if your Dynamics has a bunch of data in the customer table or accounts table, actually, um, and you go right to that, yeah, you could, you could break stuff. You need to be careful. Uh, I've seen talks where people have talked about, and I haven't done this myself, but I've seen talks where people said, I've got this account entity. It's got my Dynamics 365 stuff, but actually need to make another app that has accounts separate from that. And what people will do is they'll basically clone that entity, but not the data inside it and give it a similar name and then build on top of that. Yeah. So I guess that's one way they can get around the mistakes of things changing in future versions of Dynamics. Yeah, that makes sense. And so how does the common data service map to the common data model? I've seen CDS and CDM used in different places. What, what What's that delineation of between the two? That's a good question, Jeremy. Not being the guy who's doing the marketing on that, I'm going to take my best stab at All it. All right. And then I'll I, test I, you based on what it says on this website. There we go. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait. My understanding is the common data model is a subset of the whole common data service. And that common data model, I believe, if I remember right, the first time we heard about it was at Ignite last year. Uh, do you remember when Satya was talking with the guys from Adobe? Yeah, I that think was that last was in year. his keynote. Yeah, and he right. talked about, you know, hey, let's all standardize on what tables look like for these types of entities. Yeah. I think that's what the common data model I, I is all like about. The way that, I, that, again, we have this habit of coming up with too many terms for this, saying the same thing, but the way you described like what you're doing in taking data sources and bringing it in so that the apps can use it from one service being CDS is the common data model is just basically the schema that is defined that then they can all access. And so, that makes you know, sense. Rather, I'm, the way I would read it is 
um, rather than having to learn SQL's way of doing it and then Cosmos DB's way of doing schema and then some other weird like fire base or whatever's way of doing it you're just using one model to access all the data that you pull in but um yeah i guess that it's just a, a, a layer below the service itself that just defines those schemas and so out of interest how have you used this like you've mentioned one scenario you've used this already in terms of pulling lotus notes data into cds and i get that like you want to get rid of lotus notes as quick as possible and i'm guessing in that scenario did you build power-ups over the top of that data once it was in cds yeah we replaced the front end of the lotus notes uh, database application with a power app yeah that's and pretty cool it, it was a pretty simple app it, it's like four screens um it's used for a company that redistributes parts so uh, imagine jeremy and paul you guys Oh, both have your own company and each one of you sells separate, let's say, furniture products. And you need to distribute things like washers and nuts and screws with your furniture to put it together. Well, if I did that, I would make sure there's always at least one washer and a nut missing based on yeah. the experiences of the stuff I've bought <laughs> recently. Right. That's right. <laughs> and, and include a, uh, a little... Th- uh, a wrench, an Allen wrench that doesn't fit the, uh, the Allen screws. <laughs> and and Chinese that. instruction manual. <laughs> yeah. So, so you guys are making your users happy like that. And, and yeah. what, what we're, the company we're delighting we them for would be like me. So pretend I'm, I'm the company that we're talking about the app here. What, what they do is that they, they buy those parts in bulk, those fasteners and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then you guys would come to me and say, Hey, Todd, I, I need this package of eight washers, uh, seven screws and five nuts. And so then I would give you all those, pa- I would put them all together in packages and give them to you and then you would ship them out. And so as you can imagine, they've got tons of shipments of mm-hmm. fasteners and other things coming in all the time. And what this app does is it allows them to test those. So they they first set up a template, they call it, for these particular uh, parts that are coming in. And that, that template says metadata about the part, like who manufactures it, uh, what are the tolerances and characteristics that you need to measure on it. Uh, based on how many parts come in, it goes through an ANSI uh, table that says, uh, for instance, if 100 parts come in, you need to test this percentage of those parts. And so before they were looking that all up manually every time and, and we really were able to automate it. It's cool. Now they, now they get the, uh, the parts in, I got this little, you all can't see it, but you guys can see, see the scanner I got here, this little keyboard wedge scanner. Yeah. It's just USB. So now they're using that scanner. When the parts come in, they just scan it and boom, it goes to a database, grabs this template, pops everything on the screen and tells them immediately, you have to test 20 of these and here's all the different things you need to test about it. So you're a dev dev. And for a long time, I've written managed code, right? I mean, that's the reality of your background. You yeah. seem to have really sucked in the correlate of power So that scenario you've just built like 10 years ago, five years ago, you'd have been rolling web applications and backends, mm-hmm. uh, servers and SQL databases. Like, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that the time to build this is 
a lot quicker based on having CDS and based on having power apps with the UI and it's hosted. You're not running IIS. You're not running app service mm-hmm. in Azure. Like it, that's how many users are using that? Like this just seems like power apps is a great solution for those types of apps and probably more. Yeah, this one is going to actually be used, if I remember right, um, by about two or three people in each location they have around the country, and they have 16 locations. Yeah, They're not going to, they're actually just going to roll it out to the one here in Cincinnati, which they're doing right now. We have one more requirement to finish up and it's done. Um, but overall, I think it's going to be like, what, 16 times three at the most would be, what, 48. So this is a very small user base on this application, very simple one. But to develop it, I'd say we developed it in half the time yeah. that I could develop this in any other technology you could throw at me right now. But does that factor in the time it takes to learn how to build things in Power Apps? Because that's, you know, I've written HTML and I've written WinForms and that Power mm-hmm. Apps UI model is different, right? I mean, there's it some is. commonality. So mm-hmm. I get that once you get up to speed, it's a rapid development, but there is some overhead to get up to speed, right? You're totally right about that. No, that's not just you. You're totally right about that. I mean, we've been building these power apps for almost two years now, or a little over two years now. So for us to do this, it's just as easy as it is for us to develop JavaScript, right? We got to that point with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At the beginning, though, even if I was just learning it, I still think it would tie any technology that I already knew on how long it took me to to do everything I need to do. Well, yeah. And now, so, you know, one thing that you mentioned, like Lotus Notes, or you have these applications that may need to integrate. So does CDS give me everything I need? Like, will it store a file? Or do I still need to put that in a OneDrive or or integrate with other systems that I know and love like I would, right? Where's this, what's the story around all that? It will. It will do attachments. In fact, one of the things getting back to that same app we were talking about, um, each time you scan a part that comes in, it shows you the attachments related to that part. And those attachments can be things like um, mechanical drawings and other things that show you, you know, blown up illustrations of the part and dimensions and things on it. Uh, so we are we are storing those in CDS as well. And we've seen absolutely great performance with all of our queries and being able to download things from there too. Is it comparable to putting an image in SQL Server though? It's just a blob or is it, yeah. but if I need yep. metadata or searching, maybe I don't want to put it in CDS, right? I'm guessing it's the same decision tree we would developers have been doing since SharePoint oh, was invented. Oh, Oh, yeah. 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 Good point. Like, do you need to index the content within that document? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't believe CDS has that capability. I haven't had that requirement cross my path, though, so I'm not sure. I don't think it does have a search capability. Yeah, you said it's built on top of SQL those, Server. It's probably not, right? So I think this yeah. is one thing to be aware of. I'm, just, you know, Because I can see the appeal to say, you say I can do things in half the time. I certainly want to get there, but what do I need to be aware of as I start down that journey is kind of where I was digging for. So, and then I, and then from a language perspective, like I've dabbled with power apps, um, with the work we did with the Microsoft graph connectors. I know that was, what we talked about in the show last time, but like what language are you writing in? Cause I'm assuming, you know, if someone scans with that magic star Trek scanner, that product barcode and it's triggering power apps to do something like there's some logic in there that isn't, just dragging and dropping magic shapes onto a UI. So what language of code are you running to 
like have that scanner trigger something in Power Apps. You, you will be blown away when you hear this, but the way it works is that when you come to the page to do the scan, we automatically put the focus into the text box where you could also type in the part number if you didn't have a scanner. And as soon as you scan the UPC code, the scanner just sends the string that is the number representation. Yeah. The text representation of that barcode. Mm -hmm. And so we, all our code does is say on change event for that particular, uh, text box control on change, take the value from it and go run a query at a database, get the data back and plop it in these, these text boxes or labels on the page. And then all those so labels was, are bound to the no data. API. Yeah. No, nothing. No, like wow. com 32 stuff, you know, win 32 com plus none of that. Like just, I don't have to find a DLL. I don't have to research an open source library with this particular requirement plug the scanner in, react to the data that comes from it, and you're good to go. Yeah, and so finding a scanner that pretends to be the keyboard, for example, right? If I'm just drawing the pieces, right? Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. And so, I believe the official name for these things is called the keyboard wedge scanner, I think okay. they call them. So, and but I've seen, I think it was John Levesque, obviously the flow dude and power apps guy, where they were doing the hot dog, not hot dog thing, which is the Silicon Valley joke, but the TV show Silicon Valley joke. <laughs> and that was using the camera in power app. So there, is there a scenario, like if you'd have taken that further and they didn't have those wedge scanners to plug in, that if they had this cell phone, like power apps runs on a cell phone, you could use the camera on the cell phone to take the barcode and then some magic happens in the background to realize it's not a hot dog and it's a barcode and yeah. convert it to Yeah, you totally text. can. Um, that's all built right in. And, and if you don't have the barcode scanner, you just put this little control that comes with power apps into your power app and it's a scanner control. And basically that scanner control will use whatever, um, camera is hooked up to your device that that power app is running on. And so I actually have, a. A, a couple demos of that in different YouTube videos I've done. One is for this one called Sales Buddy Power App, and that one integrates with Dynamics. But in that video, I, I take the barcode. I know everyone else can't see it, but you guys can see it. See this giant barcode I have right here. I just, <laughs> I just to hold have that on your up desk. to my webcam and the Power <laughs> App, and and don't hit the button, and it it takes the picture and it reads it. So it's very, it, it's just so easy. I, that's why I love using the power apps. Like every, it seems to have hit this point where technology and the way they built this way to build apps on it with power apps is, it, it's kind of like an eighty twenty thing. Eighty percent of things that are going to cross your path, you can do in the power app without hardly thinking about it. And and I think we talked about this before, but like info path, the dreaded word info path. Um, was always a bit like that too, like 80%. And then suddenly you've either got to extract the info path file to a, an, the XSN file into its like bits. And then you can write, open it in Visual Studio and like write, manage C sharp code and yeah, like get I to the, right, get to the <laughs> final 20%. But by that point, you've either murdered someone or you're already in jail or, you know, you've gone insane in your asylum. 
mm-hmm. what would happen when you hit that 80 percent and can you only hit it one like just exploring or is there a list somewhere that kind of gives you good guidance on don't start with power apps unless xyz like mm. if you hit the 80 percent can you continue with power apps or is it a fried out now we have to go back to building web applications and a standard application stack that's a good question i don't know about a list that really kind of tells you that stuff up front um a couple things about that though first of all you don't have to throw it away and start over with something else we've never had that happen to us um the second main difference with InfoPath is when you did those things to InfoPath, you put your environment in a situation where good luck with the upgrade <laughs> is basically what would come about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if not good luck, you know, another way to say it, you're just going to have to do more work when it comes time to upgrade it. Mm-hmm. But with the Power App, just like we talked about the last time I was on with you guys, the custom connector is there. And because you can do whatever you want in the connector and talk to any API or write your own API or bridge to any API through it, pretty much everything is possible. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of determining, am I going to do that custom work inside of a custom connector? Can I come about up with a flow that might even do that boy the john gentleman you mentioned i've seen him do some things with flow that are really impressive i had no idea that the product was capable of some of those things uh, i see tons of people doing that with, yeah it's with definitely flow. um it it feels very like the sharepoint community five six years ago in terms of people getting on board and blogging and youtubing and speaking at conferences about like all these things they've built inside of it and one thing that comes to mind like you had to write a console app that went and read files from lotus note well an export of files from lotus notes but is there mm-hmm. a, a collection or a gallery of like here's things you can connect to with one click and get them into cds there is but i forget the name of it right off the top of my head because i went- happen to be on that web page you were no, looking at I, in actual <laughs> fact this is why i'm asking because i'm on like the cds thing and it sends me into this world of power apps but the connectors don't seem to be uh, cds connectors they seem to be uh, connectors to all, all sorts of things to do with power apps that aren't necessarily related to CDS. So I just wondered whether there was some kind of like way of just instantly seeing a list of what they can natively connect to. Yeah, you would think some of the ETL tools that probably that are on the market must must have a connection to it. Right, which is like get it for free. Yeah, Yeah. because there's a connector reference and I see things like... um, uh well it just, but there's stuff like appbot in here which i know is not going to be a data connector reference so it doesn't seem like you can filter the connectors via just we just want to suck things out of a certain repository the connectors are things like oh you can easily get to trello and create action items in trello but i'm assuming that's not going through cds that's going straight to trello api directly i it's not yeah it's not putting the trello data into a cds and a cds model like it's just a a pass-through api call so i'm just interested in the ones where it literally would be doing a sync between the SaaS service and having the data in cds itself 
So you're right about those connectors just talking to those other data sources. I, um, I'm trying to find the name of the technology that does the other thing that you're talking about, but it's, uh, I'm not searching fast enough here to dig it up, <laughs> but it, it exists. You, you can do that. You can do that with low code and no code to be able to pull that data from other places and get it into CDS so you can use it. I just can't remember it. I haven't used that one before. I haven't had a need to do that. Well, I this didn't is, see one when I was looking for it that worked with Lotus Nuts either. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Like I see one little bit where it says popular connectors and it's kind of got, you know, Outlook and SharePoint and Excel and SQL Server and OneDrive for Business and Dynamics 365, OneDrive, Dropbox. And then there's an all collectors button. And when you click that, it's throwing you into, mm-hmm. you know, like things like Trello, where it's just showing you how yeah. to create tasks in Trello and stuff. You see like a list of over a hundred of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting, but um, look, this is super useful. And um, I, I get, I guess for people listening that are maybe man, you know, managed code or they're using client side dev in JavaScript, one of the many frameworks, I think there is definitely something to be said about kind of having a look at Power Apps as an option for your customers or for your own internal business units that you're building applications for, for Power Apps. Um, yeah. And especially yeah, with this you know, power of the CDS stuff too. You're totally right. And what one reason or one announcement that came out recently, which has been really big news for Power Apps, is now that they have this feature in public preview, it is external user access to Power Apps. Oh, wow. So okay. you can go and add an external user to your AD and then let them use the Power App now. And so for all the way up until, I don't know when that announcement was for sure, a few weeks ago, a month ago. Up until then, the Power Apps could only be used by someone inside the org. Well, but that's now cool. they can be used outside. And I really think that now that that has been opened up, that's going to make the adoption of these a lot more pervasive. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, nice. Well, you know, that's that's been a business scenario since we all started writing code where I have an extranet and I have a I have a, a vendor and hey Mr. Vendor, you en- enter your billing information into my system and I'll pay you. If you don't enter it, I'm not going to pay you, right? That's been a goal of every every company everywhere forever. So, that makes total sense that I can now have an, a true extranet and remote people entering data. But I, I that does beg the difference. Well, when you're setting up these things in CDS, make sure you're developer knows security and don't expose data you shouldn't right so mm-hmm. um, but yeah that's good to see that as a typical maturation i would expect to see in, in the service so that's good to see and you know what else just in general guys is if you look at the marketing uh like on the power apps team blog for example um and just what they're talking about nowadays you will see significant investment you can tell is going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes and talk about CDS. And sometimes I feel like I wouldn't be surprised at all if CDS is where we're dropping data to make apps instead of SharePoint lists. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it should be. Eventually. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. When, you know, get above 5,000 items and why are you building in SharePoint, right? Yeah, yeah. But with CDS, mm, that's not the case. It can scale. You know, and that, that's kind of that comment does kind of trigger for me that you know, for folks who are listening who are longtime SharePoint folks, maybe it's time to get outside the bubble and see how mm-hmm. 
business apps are being consumed and built outside of the SharePoint bubble. And this might be a great, uh, a great solution for you. And do they have things like, I mean, what do they call them in SharePoint event receivers? And obviously it's webhooks now. And when they talk to them through rest, but do, do they have a notion of uh, notifications when things get dropped into models within CDS? They easily do because you could take a flow and trigger it off things that change in CDS right. and go wherever you want from there. Or, or a logic app should be able function to do that or something. Too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I remember seeing about that. Yeah, yeah I definitely think it's a point because, I mean, I'm assuming with this coming along that the SharePoint team aren't going to be looking to try and compete in that space because this is obviously something that they're driving pretty hard at the dynamics level. It's interesting. Or are they? Or are they, right? Or well, is it right. like a catalyst where the guys and girls on the SharePoint team say to themselves, okay, well, we still think SharePoint's a great way to easily make lists and, and things and connect them together. And so many people know how to do it. How can we figure out to make them scale to yeah. more items? Yeah, it's true. So maybe maybe it breeds some competition and both things improve. But but back to Paul's point, like getting out of your comfort zone, you guys know. I've been doing SharePoint since 2001. Like that, that was my livelihood for me and my family for, for a very long time. Right. And just in the last couple of years, I've been getting into this. So if, if I'm definitely a person who felt a, ver- a really big time comfort zone within building solutions in SharePoint. So for me to jump outside of the box and try this and get to the point where I can see situations where I actually do recommend it to our customers now, um, it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. So um, if people want to follow you, I know since last time we talked, there's a few things that you've kicked off um, around community. So how can people follow Todd Baginski online? Like what content are you pumping out there on this stuff? Um, basically everything I stick out nowadays, I, I'm instead of typing it, I'm making video blogs now. Look so at you. I drop it. Yeah. I found it can get more information out there quicker. You know, it, uh, I just like that way of communicating. So are, are, are you a, a YouTuber or a Snapchatter? Are you on Twitch? <laughs> so I have a YouTube. I don't have Snapchat or Twitch. It, it's funny. My son uh, told his friends uh, that his dad is a YouTuber. <laughs> and in their impression, I think they think that means like I just play video games all day and a million people follow me. <laughs> Wear a goofy hat and just yeah, use right. words that don't exist. blue spiky hair he told the kids in the neighborhood my dad's a youtuber i was like oh my goodness that's awesome they tell their parents but yeah my my youtube channel is a good spot to see a lot of the content i make and then i just send it out on twitter too and on linkedin a lot nowadays as well awesome well we'll make sure those links are in the show notes and um thanks for sharing the all the information about cds today it was awesome yeah thanks for having me guys thanks and uh, let's see out of the three teams, whether the Blackhawks, Rangers, or the Devils, uh, <laughs> who does best this year when the season starts. Oh, man. We'll see. I'm not holding so- my breath. <laughs> Someone's buying drinks at Summit. <laughs> yeah, that's going to really, I think it might be me at this rate with our team of 12-year-olds, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. 
please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 